Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's program on great food, drink and hospitality. I am Markus Hippi. In the next half an hour, how René Recepi reinvented Noma and how that made one of the world's most famous restaurants even more influential than it had been before. And, and then if you allow yourself these moments and if you allow for other people to also come in and kind of critique what you're doing, oh, you always find a new path. Also ahead, how one entrepreneur found success with apple juice in South Tyrol. With his family's farm high up on the Ritten Plateau, overlooking South Tyrol's capital, Bolzano, Cole got inspired by the region's winemakers and decided to make high-quality juice, not from grapes, but apples. All that and a dinner soundtrack recommendation too, ahead in this episode of The Menu. It would have been easy for René Recep to keep his restaurant Noma as it was, as it had been ranked the best dining spot in the world a number of times. But in 2016, the world-famous chef announced the closure of his original Copenhagen restaurant. And, as he had also promised, Noma did reopen in another corner of the Danish capital a bit later in 2018. Now almost five years since the opening of Noma 2.0, Recepi has released a book to tell the story of the new restaurant and how he and his team reinvented everything about what's being called the world's most influential restaurant. The name Vegetable Forest Ocean comes from the restaurant's philosophy that divides a year into three seasons, something that is also reflected in three distinctive menus at the new Noma. I spoke to René a bit earlier and he began by explaining where and how he got the determination to go so far in challenging himself and the team that the original Noma had to close and a new one had to open. Well, you know, we were quite uh, successful and Noma was going well. Noma, the first version of it. Uh, but at the same time, with each success that we, that we, that we found or was given, it seemed like we were getting more and more comfortable and the creativity was becoming more and more difficult for some reason, even though I was telling myself every day, okay, let's go to work and, and play around like we have nothing to lose. It didn't actually feel like that. You know, you were kind of a little bit frozen in your success. And so um, one decision was to simply let's move, let's go somewhere else and see what's, what starts from that. And that was an incredibly important decision to us because not only did it did it start uh, the idea of doing these pop-ups, traveling around the world to learn, that came from an ambition to having filled your creative sort of a well uh, for this next new Noma 2.0. We thought to ourselves, let's go travel somewhere so we can learn again. And uh, then besides that, it also uh, made us rethink everything that we have in terms of seasonality. And we decided to make the or divide the season into three distinct moments. Um, in the winter, when everything is frozen, we follow the oceans. Uh, when everything turns green, that's when we go to the plant kingdom and we only serve vegetarian foods. And then when the leaves fall from the trees, we go to the forest. And so 
a little decision of saying, okay, let's just move one kilometer down the road, which it more or less is, maybe it's a, a kilometer and a half, but it just uh, came with so many extra incredible, you know, new thinkings. And so it's been a really good thing for us to do this. And you're telling this story also in your in your new book, Vegetable Forest Ocean, named after those three seasons you talked about. You have yep. indeed divided the year into three distinctive menus at Noma now. Can you tell us more about that? How much extra pressure has that approach given to you? Oh, actually, more than uh, we realized at first. At first, it just, you know, it made so much sense and it really does, you know, um, Obviously, the, the the seasons are much more than three seasons. We have a myriad of micro seasons, but still having three moments every year where you have to change a menu in full, change plateware, change sort of the decor of the restaurant to reflect the moment you're in, uh, has proven to be an incredibly creative exercise. That is, I would say, uh, the most challenging thing we've ever done as a creative. Uh, entity we're just always behind but uh in this newfound pressure and newfound focus you could say we've also discovered many more sides to noma and to our own creativity how stressful has it got i'm wondering you know following your approach there must be quite a few surprises you talk about those micro seasons and how things can change quite suddenly what kind of issues have you had what have been some of the stressful moments where you've been wondering what to do when say the weather is awful outside and you can't get those ingredients you initially wanted to yeah that's a constant problem and as a cook you learn to deal with that you know you have this incredible menu going for you and everyone's so happy and you're happy and you might even have a moment of calm and you know thinking to yourself okay this is good and then a storm brews and by the following week, uh, 20% of your ingredients, they're not any more available. Or let's say it's a winter storm and the boats can't go out to fish. And suddenly, you know, you find yourself in a hot mess. So that is just a constant stress factor that we deal with. And honestly, it's it can be very stressful. You wake up and it's like there's snow on the ground everywhere, or it might have been a frost and you think to yourself, how bad was the frost? You know, was it just for an hour? Was it more than minus one? Because you know that by minus two or three, that's when a lot of the herbs will die off if it's a prolonged frost at night. And you wonder, okay, what am I what am I gonna come to work and face? Um, and that's a constant one. That's that's uh, was also the same in the old Noma, but I will say it was a little easier to deal with in the old Noma than what kind of creative solutions have you come up with recently to give us examples of what's been happening recently? Uh, recently, well, as of recently, recently, we've actually been quite good because it's been so mild. The autumn has been truly mild. We haven't really had frost. Uh, it's only now in the, in the last two, three days that it has turned cold. Um, and, you know, for us here in the north, it, it's, it's only five degrees. It's not really cold yet. So we haven't had any uh, great surprises, uh, actually, of this season. And if you ask me the last season, I just can't remember because it mm -hmm. happened so often. You know, there was so much rain and we had this strawberry dish on and there was a 
a terrible thunderstorm uh, over the weekend. And when we came to work on Tuesdays, the strawberries, they had just exploded uh, from having drunk so much water. That was an example, you know, and it's, it sounds maybe like nothing are the strawberries. There's another berry, but it was the same for all the berries. We also had a spring. Actually, there was last spring where um, it was wet and it hailed a lot. So we didn't get a lot of stone fruits. Uh, and uh, we had a big plan to make these ferments from stone fruits. And I can't even remember what we did instead, but we always come up with something. I bet you do. T tell me, Rene, what you wanted to offer with this new book. In the beginning of, of the book, you say that the point is to show what's been going on at Noma 2.0 in a meaningful way. What does that mean? Mm. Well, here it is. You know, this is what's been going on in the last four years. Look at all this work, all this creativity. Look at how we've distilled the seasons onto plates. Uh, look at all the ingredients that uh, actually exist throughout seasons. How much more there is to cook with and to eat. How much more deliciousness there is to eat. And then I'd say for the professional cook, this book is uh, really a treasure trove because the recipes, they are online and they are by far the most in-depth of recipes we've ever done. It is basically everything that we've ever worked on. It's in this book. And, you know, you might have techniques. We never really talk about the techniques that we have, let's say, invented. Uh, but there might be techniques or there are techniques in the recipes that we've spent years on perfecting. And now they're available on there. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. I have to agree on that. It's it's an incredible release, and there's so much inspiration over there. And actually, when you when you scan the QR codes and see the actual recipes, you realize how how incredibly complicated these recipes are. Tell me about how you know it's been a few years since I interviewed you last, and I haven't actually spoken to you since you opened, reopened Noma. Can you tell us about how much things have changed in recent years? Obviously, we have to mention the pandemic as well, but do you think it's somehow changing what people are looking for when they come to your restaurant, what they want to experience? At first, most definitely, uh, without a shadow of doubt, when um, the pandemic first hit, you know, and we opened up, we served burgers because it was clear that people just wanted to be out and together. They weren't interested in sitting, having a tasting menu for four or five hours. Neither was I, by the way. I, uh, you know, I just wanted to be out and feel the energy of people again. And for at least a year, I guess it was more like that. You know, it was uh, people. There was this kindness, and people just wanted to be outdoors. I mean, and and have fun. Uh, we could have served. We could have rolled in a giant pot with goulash every night, and people would still have been happy uh, in that period. Um, but now it does feel like. It's a little more back to normal. You know, people have uh, sort of gotten back to the routine again and they want to have an experience. You know, they want to come here and be surprised yet again. I feel we're back on that. What is the Noma experience you want to offer? How do you phrase it yourself? When, when, when you look at the list of recipes from this book, some of them are easier to say but you've got some things that may be a bit challenging for some people i find uh, recipes for reindeer peony salad from here for example i find potatoes cooked in soil plankton mousse cake and duck brain tempura for example so 
what is the level of challenge you want to offer to people and what kind of an experience do you want to offer? Well, the thing is, we're not necessarily looking to challenge people. We're challenging ourselves. That's the thing when we come to work, you know, what are the stuffs that we're cooking? What excites us when we're cooking? We want to cook new things. We want to try new things. And um, that's more or less it. I mean, often we actually don't serve some dishes because we feel, okay, we love this, but the general public that's not used to eating and cooking the way we are is simply not ready for it. It could be a texture or an ingredient. For instance, when we serve the reindeer penis, which is an effort to use everything from the animal, of course. We actually, you know, we, we get the reindeer from a Sami tribe and, and they were so surprised we wanted because usually that's something they would eat themselves uh, along with all the offals and so on. But we didn't write it on the menu that it was a reindeer penis, for instance. We just wrote that it was a reindeer stew and people loved it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then afterwards, when they read the menu, then they could see that they've been eating many different parts of the reindeer. And so it's not necessarily, it's not a shock. Uh, and it, there's no shock value in this at all. It's just to make us excited at work. You know, what do we feel like cooking? And we need to all the time do things that we haven't done before that's important to us. Absolutely. And obviously your test kitchen is, is, is an important part of Noma. How hard is it to continue reinventing things and coming up with something new? That's, that can be so hard. I mean, obviously the opportunities are right in front of us, but seeing them can be very hard. And at times it can be, well, almost as if there is nothing. Um, we all experience that creative blackouts, even burnouts. But then is when the team comes into play. What sort of team do you have around you? How well do you know each other? Sometimes you might need to pull in a team member from the general kitchen because they come with a breath of fresh air or um, you might need to do something completely different, uh, unrelated to work, which is from, in my case, typically I, I would go on a hike, a longer hike, could be a week or two. And, and then if you allow yourself these moments and if you allow other people to also come in and kind of critique what you're doing, oh, you always find a new path. You really always do. But uh, sometimes it, it's hard found. I guess, I guess nurturing those great ideas requires something from the work environment as well. And that is something you have quite a good reputation for. You, you look after your staff and you encourage them to express their ideas. Tell me more about what kind of a boss you are and how you want to support your staff and, and help them come up with new ideas. Well, I, um, of course, I want to be the best boss. I, I, you know, I haven't always been the best boss in our industry. The, we are known to have a lack of leadership and there's a lot of temperament and there's a lot of pressure. And I have felt that myself over the years and um, not behaved uh, appropriately. But I do feel like we are at a, at a place uh, with this restaurant now where we are in an elite environment. We want to be the best. Uh, and we demand certain things of everyone that works here in terms of their skill set and their craft and their creativity and their enthusiasm and you know but how do we stay together as a team how do we get to inspire uh each other and how do i get to have a team that actually 
not only do they stay for a long time, but how do they also stay productive and uh, positive? That is a very hard question to answer because um, I'm not 100% sure what the correct answer is here other than around me, I'm actually in the test kitchen office. I'm staring uh, right now at my team and the one who's been there, the the shortest time is eight years and the long one who's been there the longest is 14 years. And, and so, you know, it, it's really a privilege to be doing that. But I think the main and most important factor is that you are available and you are present as the main leader and you're actually here and a part of the everyday operations and you know what's going on and you make the decisions needed to the bad ones, the tough ones, you know, that is by far the most important factor, I think, to keep uh, a crew uh, happy and motivated. And then uh, strong delegation as well, which is something I feel like I've become quite good at over the years. And that's actually what started to alleviate some of the pressure in the kitchens and even on myself when I, when, once I started delegating work to more people. Now, we've been talking about the constant challenge for you and your team to come up with new ideas and innovation. I wonder, can you remember the latest discovery you've made, the latest eureka moment when you've realized something that's got you excited? This is also something that sounds a little weird, but I was in Japan uh, not too long ago on a test trip. And we were eating at a restaurant and uh, we had raw fish and there was some sort of marinade around it. And when I asked what it was, it was a fish liver marinade. And so it's raw fish liver that was crushed in between the chef's hands. And then it was just uh, mixed with a little bit of a mirin, which is a sweet Japanese rice wine. Uh, then um, the slivers of raw fish was bathed in it. And that to me was like, wow, okay. It was, it was uh, even to my e- ears, it sounded so weird or it looked so weird as he was, you know, using his fists to crush the liver. But it was incredible. That's an example of how important travel has been for you and your team. Obviously, before you opened, reopened Noma, you, you had pop-ups in a few countries, which exemplifies how important it was seeing different cultures and ways of cooking. You also mentioned that in Japan, you, you wanted to learn more about Zen Buddhism. Tell me how that went. Well, that has gone pretty well, I would say. I have finished, if I just, you know, can rephrase, just Buddhism in general um, is something that has been inspiring to learn from. Uh, I have recently just finished a long hike on the island of Shikoku. There is a a thousand kilometer long hike called the Shikoku 88, in which you walk from temple to temple. And I just finished that. It's a Buddhist pilgrimage. But obviously, when you go to Japan and you study Japanese food, you will inevitably end up looking at kaiseki cuisine. And kaiseki cuisine is the finest expression of Japanese food. It's basically a tasting menu restaurant serving best of the best of the seasonal treats. And the origins of that comes from Zen Buddhism. And uh, that's what's so mind-blowing to me is uh, that Zen Buddhism produces the tea ceremony that produces the kaiseki cuisine that arguably have inspired the Western tasting menu. So, yeah, 
it's been inspiring to keep going backwards and following uh, the history of something. We've been talking about Japan and obviously something we should mention, something that is in the pipeline is the Noma pop-up in Japan in Kyoto a bit later. Tell us more about that project. Yep. So during the pandemic, about six months in, maybe six months to a year in, we started planning to travel again with with this idea that when all of this is over, let's be ready to pack our bags and go somewhere so we can kind of regroup as a team and have a new experience. And the place that everybody wanted to go was Japan. I uh, We had already been to Tokyo. And um, funny enough, I was looking on Instagram one day and I saw this new hotel being built on Instagram by Kengo Kuma in Kyoto. And it was the Ace Hotel. And so I just sent it to one of my colleagues, hey, why don't we try to contact them? If this is a new hotel, they might be up for it. And so we contacted them with, you know, a simple phrase like, hey, we're from Nomo. Would you like us to do a pop-up there? And then they ended up saying yes. And uh, we are on our way to Kyoto on Friday. I'll be traveling with a little detour in Los Angeles first, but then I'm on my way to uh, Kyoto along with the Test Kitchen team. We're opening March 15th and we'll be open for 10 weeks and we'll be back in Copenhagen around June 1st. That's one dream email, by the way. Rene, do you ever stop and think about the mark you've left? It's it's a vast number of people I've spoken to over the years, who, for example, who have all worked with you. And I've also met a number of young chefs who would love to work with you in the future. I think of it sometimes, but I also try to not think of it because I think, yeah, what, what good is it to think of it in a way? And I think if you're looking for legacy, you're going to be greatly disappointed. <laughs> Because I do think people just forget uh, very quick. Uh, so don't work for that. And um, so I guess my answer is no, I don't think about it so much, actually. I really don't. Which might be a mistake. That's what my wife tells me. Because, <laughs> you know, when I'm, when I'm unhappy about something or uh, you have moments of doubt and so on, I'm just like, look, everything has been going on, you know. Do you still and have moments of doubt? Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. Who doesn't? Of course I do. Perhaps even more than ever. What are you doubting at the moment? Oh, you can. I have moments where I doubt everything, and then moments where everything feels amazing and uh, we're on the right path. But it can be anything. It can uh, pop up in a brief second during the day. There can be this doubt about, oh, uh, is this the right thing that we're doing right now? But you know, in general, I knew I do know we're going in the right direction. Absolutely. I'm wondering, does this constant search of new ideas and new ways of doing things mean that you may at some point, maybe give it 10 or 15 years, close your restaurant again and, and, and open later, maybe somewhere else? Well, you know, we, we, we did uh, plan this new Noma space. Um, for people who don't know, we have 11 buildings on the premises here. And one is very large, that's a thousand square meters. And one is small, it's seven square meters. But the 11 buildings, they're connected with these glass corridors. And we build it like that so that we can take these glass corridors down and, you know, repurpose each building into something else. Because I know with myself, and I know even when we built it, that we had to to build it so that it could change. That sounds fascinating. And just finally, besides your pop-up in Japan, do you have any other plans for the future? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) 
I mean, I can tell you um, that before the pandemic, we were actually very far ahead with a Los Angeles pop-up. And that uh, is completely canceled, not happening. We're not on our way there, but we were very far ahead on it. And we had also done a lot of work on a Tbilisi pop-up as well in Georgia, but that is also not happening at all. Uh, and I'm only saying this because I know they're not happening. And we had also been working quite a bit on uh, Istanbul uh, pop-up as well, but then that, that's not happening either. But we're working on other things and I'm quite excited about it. Can you reveal any more? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't because you know we it's, it's still it's still a work in progress. There's no it's not fixed. It's just sort of handshakes and let's make it happen. But from from uh, from a handshake to actually figuring out okay how are we going to transport 110 people to this new place in the world, and we need to put uh, childrens in school, childrens in daycare. We need to find. Uh, you know, local transportation, uh, we need to house everyone, uh, insurances, medical, ba -ba 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 -ba. you know, before you even start thinking about how's the restaurant going to look, how will, uh, you know, what sort of ingredients are we going to uh, use and so on and so forth. All that is so complicated and actually it rules out quite a lot of places because a lot of people that we contact They, they would love to do it, but then when they figure out just how complicated and difficult it is and that there's no money in it, most people are like, ah, you know, not for us. Um, so that's why I don't ever say where we are uh, planning uh, on going because it might never happen. Rena Recipe there and the new book Noma 2.0, Vegetable Forest Ocean, is out now. Next to Italy's South Tyrol region, an area well known for its many apple orchards, to learn the story of a farmer who transformed his family's business by planting apple trees, not for eating but for making high-quality juice made from rare varieties of apples. Today, Thomas Call and his premium apple juices are praised across Europe for their great taste and beautiful packaging. Monocle correspondent Ivan Cavallio trekked up to Call's farm in the Italian Alps for this report. Italy's South Tyrol region is known as apple country. Over 7,000 farmers work here, in mostly low-lying orchards in the valley, growing 10% of the total European harvest. The vast majority focus on common varieties that end up on supermarket shelves. Yet one farmer, Thomas Cole, decided to take a different path. With his family's farm high up on the Ritten Plateau, overlooking South Tyrol's capital, Bolzano, Cole got inspired by the region's winemakers and decided to make high-quality juice, not from grapes, but apples. On a visit to Cole's farm, which sits at nearly 1,000 meters above sea level and offers panoramic views of the Dolomites, I meet Sophie Pickler, marketing manager at Thomas Cole Juices. So the idea of Thomas Cole was to treat apple juice like wine. He always wanted to uh, cultivate wine up here on about 1,000 meters above sea level, but this is not possible because we're too high. So he started to cultivate apples, uh, apple trees, and 
he planted the first apple trees in 1994. And since 2007, uh, we have the first uh, line of apple juices that are single variety apple juices. It's our gourmet line. So tell me, Sophie, when I see these um, monovarietal uh, apple juices, now these are apple varieties that we don't see normally in the supermarket, like Golden Delicious and, and Fuji. Yeah, that's right. So um, we use uh, apple varieties that do not grow in the valley. They are not used to sell in the supermarkets because you can't keep them. They're not beautiful, uh, but they taste good. Uh, it's also a difference because we're up on about 1,000 meters. Uh, they grow slowlier. They are smaller, but they have more taste, more aroma. Where cows once grazed, today there are eight hectares of orchards with apple varieties most people have never heard of, such as Pinova, Elstar, and Yonagol. In autumn, after the harvest, the hand-picked fruit is pressed into juice on the property. For bottling, Thomas Cole looked to winemakers for inspiration. Another difference of our apple juices is the packaging. Uh, we don't bottle our uh, apple juice in the typical green bottles in one liter. We uh, bottle them in wine bottles, so 750 milliliters. We treat the apple juice like wine, so it has to be in a wine bottle. Also in a transparent uh, bottle, so you see the color. Next, it was time to sample Cole's single varietal juices, which over the years have collected numerous awards at tasting events and been named the best apple juice in Italy and Austria. So, and that's now our apple juice Jonagold. It's the sweetest one of the single variety apple juices and is one of our best sellers. Um, it has a really ripe pear aroma and it's soft and elegant. You can pair it with a spicy or uh, a spicy risotto or also a cake for dessert. Oh, this is lovely. Now, this Yona Gold variety, is it one that's um, indigenous to, to this region? So the apple variety Yona Gold is a cross between Golden Delicious and uh, Yonatan, so both apple varieties that are also cultivated here in South Tyrol in the valley. It's a really big apple variety and we harvest it, it in the end of the October. Now I'm pouring for you our apple juice rouge. It's a single variety apple juice and a very special one. It's a red apple juice. Uh, the color comes from, sure, from the apple, but um, the apple is not just outside red, but inside, so the flesh is also red. Really intense acidity, but that makes it fresh and a great summer drink. This is lovely. Now, you guys also try to approach the juices like wine with pairings. So for food, what would this be good for? Um, the rouge, for example, like um, for aperitif, but also with Asian dishes and appetizers of meat and fish. Cole's premium juices have caught the eye of gourmet chefs in South Tyrol and has led him to experiment with new flavors, including one made with hops to use in food pairings for those wanting alcohol-free drinks. Together with his standout packaging, 
and slow-growing fruit at high altitude, Cole seems poised to reign over his rivals for years to come. From Monocle in South Tyrol, I'm Ivan Carvalho. Thanks to Ivan for that report. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you're listening in San Francisco. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And obviously you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippie and our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is the sound of arrows with Stay Free. Thanks for listening and until next week.